0: good evening and welcome to the trending tickers sunday conversation series we're coming back after a little hiatus in the last two days of the week but i want to make sure i got you guys this interview this is matthew sullivan of silicon valley bank he dropped a lot of knowledge a lot of great insight and a lot of in-depth analysis on what he actually does at silicon valley bank it was a great conversation it was an honor and a privilege to have matt on and we can't wait to keep doing this series for you guys and keep pushing out more and more of these interviews but i will see you guys at the end enjoy the interview So welcome everyone to, uh, I guess, episode two of our fireside chat series. Uh, Today I have with me Matthew Sullivan, who's not only a Clark alum, but is also a CUIT alum. We're really uh, privileged to have him. So Matt, why don't we first just start off with the basics of you, you know, where you work, um, you know, where you live. We talked, just talked about uh, living in California. So where specifically you live and uh, everything like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I guess I'll sort of start, with Clark, so I am originally from Maine, came out to Clark. Uh, I was the class of 2017, um, majored in economics with a double minor in math and management. Um, and then I continued on to do my fifth year, my master's in finance. Uh, and from there, I joined Silicon Valley Bank, commonly referred to as SVB, um, and relocated out to the other side of the country in California. Um, And so do you want me to get into what we actually
0: do now or yeah why don't we why don't we so matt you work at silicon valley bank like why don't you let us know basically what your day-to-day operations are there and what it is you exactly do there
1: okay so i'll start with what svb is in general so we i mean we are a global bank um so i mean we're all over the country we have offices in different countries in the world Um, but basically what our bread and butter is, is lending to startups. Uh, so a lot of these are, or largely these are venture backed companies that aren't making any money. Um, so obviously like they can't repay us. And so it's a pretty niche market where we are underwriting to these companies being able to raise another round of money, uh, which will repay us. Um, I was part of a rotational program when I first joined which we supported the there's my programs based out of they have one in the east and then one out west i came and joined the west one in palo alto Um, and we support the different teams the different lending teams basically and so we'll do six months um, on one or two different teams and then we'll do that two to three times Um, and then from there you are promoted from the program and you get to join one of the lending teams full-time
0: so when, you, when I think when a lot of people hear VC, a lot of people think of like Shark Tank, because those are technically VCs. Can you, so can you go into a little bit more about what your role is on the VC team and how do you help pick uh, the companies that get invested in? Do you analyze them? Like what part of that VC part, uh, part of the firm do you operate under?
1: Yeah, so we're not, we're not necessarily the VC aspect. So VCs are all, they're putting their money into these companies and they're buying equity in the company. So they're not getting any money back from the company. What we do is we're the, we're the lending aspect of that. And so we expect, we have like interest rates and we make money off of that. Um, And obviously in order for us to make money, we have to be getting repaid. And so in order to be repaid, the company has to have cash of some kind uh, so that's one of like our strategic initiatives. Actually, is while we're not a VC, like we do have very close relationships with them, because those are a, like those are the people who are putting their money into the companies, not getting any money back, and they're making money based off of the valuation of the company improving and, a, and eventually having a liquidity event, whether that's going IPO or whether that's being acquired by some big player uh, in the space. And so it's really important that we have those relationships because before we're lending any money, the VCs are putting money into these companies. Um, and like we, if, if there's no, I mean, if there's no VCs, we largely won't extend debt to these companies because there's just not a good way for them to really repay us because they're not like, they're not cash flowing companies. Uh, and so we, we have really good relationship with the VCs because the VCs are the first people people to interact with them. And so the VCs are oftentimes advising them on who to like get their debt with uh, or even like do their banking with. Um, So, yeah.
0: So are you part, when you guys look at companies that you're hoping to loan money for, obviously they have to be in, you know, good financial shape they have to have a strong balance sheet. Is that part of your job to analyze those balance sheets of those companies and everything to make sure that they will be able to pay you back at a future time? Or are you doing something completely different?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so no, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, We are, we're, we're underwriting these companies to be able to repay us. Um, It's, I would say it's a it's not quite as extensive as the underwrite that the VCs are doing, just because the VCs like if they put their investment in the company just tanks, then they lose all their money. Whereas like we, if they if they can like liquidate their properties or liquidate if they have any inventory or anything, then we we will still get um, paid with that. But like I said again, like I mean yeah, the balance sheet's really important. Oftentimes we are we're going to be extending debt um, after. They just raised around so they're like flush with cash but um it like oftentimes what we're doing is we're extending runway and so founders want to push off raising rounds as long as absolutely possible because the longer they can push it off the more their company's going to be worth and the less that the same one million dollars will get the investor ownership in their company. So obviously they don't want to dilute themselves or they want to dilute themselves as little as possible. Right. Um. So oftentimes like they're the ones who really want to do it, but then also the VCs are encouraged to get debt also because then that's other money that's being put to work. That's not their money that is helping the company um become better. And so, yeah, so basically we're definitely looking at their financials. We're looking at like the, the target market, um we're looking at competitors we're like looking at all that stuff and doing like underwriting these companies and underwriting them because like what how what i've discovered my job to be is a lot of like memorialization um in case like the creditors come in and we have to show like why we had a pitch to lending money to this company like it can't be like the ceo's friend or something so we can like lend them 10 million dollars and so like we have to have like a good pitch and obviously like that's how we're going to make money by actually like having good pitches and ensuring that we do get paid back.
0: So when you guys, you, so you're obviously looking for a healthy company people think Silicon Valley, they probably think technology. So are most of your companies you know, located in Silicon Valley that you're lending money for? Are most of these startups Silicon Valley companies or are they companies from all around the country?
1: Yeah, so d- definitely our biggest operations are in the Bay Area and a lot of our companies do come from that, but we also have like a big hub in New York um, in Boston would be like the next two biggest ones. But we basically have offices in every metropolitan city um, where there is, as we say, an innovation economy. So it's like any place that, that um, founders are going to start the companies, we want to be there also to, to like provide services to them. Um, and it is very much like a personal business, a relationship business. Um, and that's how SVB pitches it especially too. So it's like good to have people on the ground in those different cities. Obviously right now with uh, COVID, we're sort of putting that um, putting that theory to the test. But I think, I don't really think that you can fully replace um, boots on the ground with just Zoom calls. So basically in every metropolitan city, we have them. Um, the Bay Area is obviously big, uh, but in every city where there's innovation, in terms of in terms of going back to that like VC startup, um, all the companies that we're banking are supposed to technically be in like the innovation economy. So like a new clothing store or something wouldn't necessarily like we wouldn't lend to them unless perhaps they like I don't know have like some like technologically advanced way of like creating the clothing or manufacturing the clothing or like how they like organize it in their, um, in their like store or something. So like one example is we bank a really cool company that, uh, they, it's, it's like a fast food restaurant basically, but they had, they created this conveyor belt, um, to make hamburgers and it's pretty cool. So it's like stuff like that, but, uh, like, um, general like stores or something like that we're not going to like just like normal commercial stores right. we're not going to lend money
0: to so it's all in that innovation space where it's like a new a brand new product that'd be being brought to so like for example if you guys you know uber is obviously much bigger now but like uber like in its startup stage would have been an example of someone you guys may have loaned money to exactly okay so Let's talk about this because, so we got the gist of what you do. Now let's talk about how you got there. Um, You know, looking at your LinkedIn page, for those who haven't seen it and didn't read the bio of you, we posted on Instagram, you interned at Fidelity and you interned at Lowell Blake and Associates and you interned for, you know, two different types of jobs. You interned at a product group and then equity research, which are two different jobs. And now you're, you know, a risk associate. So talk about how you, you, the process you took to get to this position you're in now.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so like you just said, Parker, I, my sophomore year interned at, uh, Fidelity Investments. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, just was able to get a job there. And obviously Fidelity is a big name. So I was excited about that. Didn't really like the work that I did at all. I mean, it was just like kind of a boring internship, but it was a really cool company. And I got to talk to basically whoever I wanted to, um, they, person who is responsible for corporate development of all of fidelity, like took the time to talk to me for 30 minutes, which I thought was really cool. Um, and so that was like one of my, my favorite things. Cause I, even like now that I'm in my first job, it's like, I don't really have any idea. Like what, not, I have a better idea, but I don't like know exactly what I want to do for the rest of life. So the more that I can talk to people hear their experience hear what interests me and what doesn't interest me, um, I think the better. Uh, So for that, I really liked the Fidelity internship. I also had a lot of time during it to like go and like go to the different offices in Boston and like meet with different people, which was cool. Um, Then my next job actually at Lowell Blake and Associates, I was basically hired in by the, I want to say my sophomore year, the president of the Investments and Trading Society, uh, David Polanski. Um, And so that was like really cool and a way to see like what the club has the potential to do. Um, and again, like, I mean, you hear about equity research and stuff. So I was seeing what it was all about, got there. And like, I didn't really like what I did that much again. Um, it was just like, I didn't, I didn't really like sort of like sitting there and just like analyzing one company and like, don't get me wrong. Like there was like definitely a lot of cool companies that I looked at. Like I, like, I love looking into visa. We were looking into a new European regulation that they just had passed about the security of bank accounts. Um, and being required to share that, in, the banks being required to share that information with third parties if we give them permission, um, which we looked at a potential way to uh, undercut banks in the process um, or, no, no, or visa of like payment processing if they can just go directly with the bank. And so there's a lot of cool things, but then there's also like I was looking to CVS and that just didn't really interest me that much. Um, but again, and it was like really good. Like, this is the opposite of Fidelity. It was a really small shop. You could talk to those people, get their perspective, see how much, like, and like talking to Dave this day, like, one of the things he loves the most about it is he's like, feels like he has uh, um, the autonomous ability there. Like, he is like making decisions from way earlier on than he would have at a big corporation. Um, and then, so from there, I basically, I com- so that was my, summer after senior year. So then my fifth year, I just started like looking at all jobs in the like finance space. I looked at a lot of corporate development jobs and all the big tech companies in San Francisco. Um, I was looking at investment banks, all the big ones. I started uh, getting into some middle market ones. Um, and then obviously SVB. And I actually heard about SVB from a fifth year classmate who interned there and heard about this program that I was part of and recommended I look into it. And we had another Clark alumni who works in the Boston office. Um, so I think like the, if I give any advice, the most important thing would definitely be to sort of like just apply to as many jobs as possible um, and try to sort of like make connections at those different places you apply. Cause so this is a, just like, go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry. This is a really good segue actually. Cause you know, not only your advice talking and applying to all these jobs but let's talk about you know you talked about david so that's obviously the name drop. clark Alama, clark Alama, c uh, svb so talk about how important networking is and like quick anecdote you're actually the first person i talked to at clark about trying to go get an internship i don't know if you remember but i remember yeah. in the management building with you talking about your fidelity internship as a little freshman had no idea you were associated with the club but so like, talk about that networking and talk about how important it is to reach out because we would have never had this sit down had I not reached out to you. I would have never had to sit down with Akeem last week if I had reached out to him. So talk about the, how important that is and how that can be vital to getting these new experiences and getting experiences and figuring out what you like and don't like.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think networking is really how everything gets done, I want to say. Um, like there are some there are some interviews that I've had in like my life that I never should have had and I only had because I happen to know somebody who knows somebody and could like put me in contact with them. Um, connections don't necessarily help you out past that point um, but like I mean the, easily the hardest part of getting a job um, is, is like getting your foot in the door so like n- networking is huge and again it's not even like like just because you like go and connect with someone that doesn't mean you're going to get something. But like almost everything that you get is going to stem from one of those things, whether it's like a family, a friend or somebody who you meet new. So I like, um, one of the other offers that I had as I was joining jobs, like I literally just got this list of companies, um, off of like the internet or something for, for like smaller iBanks that you like don't really hear about. And I just started going and like calling every single one of them. And I think, obviously that's not like as much network like oh like can I like talk to you just like connect or whatever but it's like that networking will also like benefit you in those situations where you can sort of just make small talk and like be personable and have like a strong personality and be uh exciting and sort of interesting um and then like even even like if you are using friends or family they can like put you in connection with someone else who can like help you and like they know that this person is vouching for you. And so they wanna to try to help you out if they can. And so I think like, it's never gonna hurt you. I really enjoy talking to people and meeting new people and sort of like hearing their life experience. Uh, so I think networking is extremely important and it helps you figure out where you, like what interests you because you can hear other people's experience and then you can sort of cling on to what that sounds interesting and which of it doesn't sound interesting and sort of help, help you form your path that way as well.
0: So you made a great point. You said, you know, ne- the networking and connections will get you maybe the initial interview, but won't get you the job. Coming from a, non, a quote unquote non-target school, I don't like using that word for Clark because what people don't realize is our number one employer of Clark University students is Fidelity, which is in the finance field. So I don't like to use, I don't li- love the non-target label, but you can consider us a non-target school. What did you find that you needed to do in order to get yourself out there in the world of finance coming from, you know. Clark no finance no true finance program until you get to graduate school you know only a business management major what did you have to do you felt like to get those positions that you were were able to find yeah
1: I mean I think it's really just connecting with the right people it's like like I'm I'm sure or I'm not sure but like I'm pretty sure that I never would have even got the interview with SBB if we didn't have an alumni who worked in the Boston office who my resume like went to the ADP recruiters through. Cause ADP does have, they have their schools that they recruit at. And like, obviously if they're in person and they're meeting you, then that's going to be easier for you to get your foot in the door than if you're just um, like some person submitting their, their uh, resume online. And that's a thing too, like even at SBD, like they'll tell us they like, they're getting thousands and thousands of resumes for this one job like no one's going to sit down and look through all of those so if you can sort of have someone internally or i know like for companies like internal referrals are a huge thing i know they are for svb if you can have someone um just like submit your resume or something like that then that will go a long way in sort of progressing you further and getting you like at least And like then they'll actually take the time to look at it and they still might not like you Um, but that happens during the process (laughs) so get used to it Um, But at least like they'll take the time to look at it and it just won't go into the black hole. That's basically every single jobs um, application submission.
0: Right. So then why don't we talk about your interview process? Because I know for a lot of people, you know, interviews in general are scary, but it seems like at times when people talk about investment banking and interviews and all of that and the different rounds, people get a lot more worried about those. Why don't we talk about your interview process? Not Maybe not only SVB, but also you know, at Fidelity when you had it. I know uh, being hired out by David probably helped at Mole Blake, but let's talk about the Fidelity and the SVB uh, interview process.
1: Okay. For Fidelity, honestly, don't really remember it that much. Um, I mean, I feel like they're pretty similar. Usually they'll have like a phone interview with HR. They'll just tell you. I mean, those are like really easy. They'll just like talk to you, make sure I don't really know what they're looking for, but like, just like that, you like basically seem like you fit the criteria of what you're applying under. Um, And then from there, they'll set you up with meetings with like the hiring team. Again, I'm not really sure what, I don't even think I like necessarily met with the hiring team for Fidelity. Um, But then it's like, I don't know, it's like a round or two, maybe like an hour or two of uh, interviews. Um, Lowell, Lowell Blake was actually like a pretty, I don't think like, I don't, I obviously talked to David, but I didn't interview with him at all. Cause he sort of like pulled himself out of the process. Cause obviously he liked me. Um, but then again, it's a smaller shop too. So like the fit is way more important in smaller shops. Cause it's not as easy just to like brush under the rug. Um, so I want to say there was like four or five investment people when I were there. And so I interviewed with two or three of them. Um, and again, and and none of these interviews are like technical. They know that we don't like really know anything, um, and they're just going to like teach us a little bit. Like, I mean, they're not paying very much, so it's like it's it's like giving us good experience, and it's like getting some people to like do groundwork. work. But I think it's mostly like a PR thing, honestly, because like interns don't provide that much um, benefit to companies. Uh, and then I could talk I could talk about some of my other interviews as well yeah Um, go for it for for jobs that I like got full-time offers it's definitely I think there's there's a big difference between um, big companies and small companies and like I said like small ones it's definitely going to be more involved you're going to talk with like the whole team because it's next to impossible to like for someone to be irrelevant if you bring them in whereas in big ones it's like if you make a bad decision on hiring someone it's not as big a deal Um, So I interviewed with a, so I think this is like, so I interviewed with RBC for an investment banking position Um, and I think this like, this is, I just reached out to a Clark alumni, I want to say, who worked at RBC, I'm pretty sure she was up in Toronto uh, and she got back to me, she was on medical leave, so she's like contact this person. So then I connected with this new person who had worked with this Clark alumni and just like sat chat on the phone for like 30 minutes with him. Um, and then like, I don't know, like a couple months later, I got a, an email from RBC being like, Oh, like we want to interview. And I'm just like, what? Like, cause again, like you, I mean, Clark university doesn't get you anywhere with, with like the, um, bold bracket investment banks and like RBC is like on the edge of that. Like they're, or they're like barely bold bracket, <laughs> or they're not really bold bracket.
0: Um, yeah.
1: but, uh, So, um, so I interviewed for them and, and so that was more formal. It's sort of like the super days that you hear about, but it was like way less key. There's only like two or three of us coming in. Um, and then we had like four back to back 30 minute interviews, uh, with the first time I went was, uh, one person. Um, and like, I just got to those and I was like, so underprepared for those. It's like, I did not really know my stuff. Um, And so it was just under And it also didn't help that they had, because I was in my fifth year. So they thought I was like basically doing an MBA program. So they had, they put me in for the associate position interview, which is like basically they're interviewing all um, business school people. So it didn't belong there. And then, and then, but I, I, I hit it off with them. And I like didn't know my information at all, but like I was like personal and could talk to them um and so then they got back to me they're like oh we actually want you to come back to the interview for the analyst position which is like the one that I should have been in originally um and then I went back to that and again it was the same thing that I'm pretty sure there's only two of us and then there was, there was a couple more two uh two-person interviews um and again like I just did a terrible job and like preparing for these things and like having the answers down cold so like i just sounded like a buffoon in these interviews didn't come off as
0: what should you do to prepare well since you weren't prepared did you learn any lessons that you know you should have done and that you did later on
1: yeah so so there's this. I mean for investment banking specifically like there's this whole like prepping for wall street or wall street oasis or whatever i don't remember what exactly it is but you can like buy this like or honestly, you can probably just get it from like a friend or training or something. Um, it's like this packet of like all like the iBanking questions. And there are some people who will be like, oh, yeah, like that's not worth your time. But like, honestly, like for the technical questions, which is what we don't really know, especially coming out of undergrad, like I had a little better knowledge um, having gone through it like, or like have being in the MSF at the time. Uh, but like going through undergrad, it's like stuff that we just don't know at all. And and I had these docs too, and I just did not study them like I should have. Like yeah, I should have had every single thing down cold. Um, and they actually the, the very first question this guy was it's kind of mean, <laughs> um, but he he asked me he asked me um, who the who the new uh, Federal Reserve chair was, and and it had happened like weeks before or something, or like days before. I'm like I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, but I know Janet Yellen, and I'm just, and so I was just like, it was bad. <laughs> um, so those didn't go as well, but, be, but really, I mean, just like having, like having that information down cold is what you need to do for investment banks. But then right. I, also, I also can compare that to a smaller investment bank that I interviewed with. And again, that was like way less technical. And it was just like, sort of like, again, like, are you a good fit for this place? Cause they can basically teach you anything on the job. Um, and I did get an offer there and it was actually, it would have been a really interesting job because uh, they had just merged with a, um, another I bank too, to sort of like double or maybe more than double in size, uh, which was exciting.
0: So you've gone through all these interviews and everything and you just mentioned your MFS. How, I know, I don't know if you were at any of our alumni and finance events, cause I think you were graduated at that point when we brought in the Davids and Scott. And they always said that they didn't feel that the master's program was that important for what they wanted to go and do in finance. How important do you think that master's degree was for you who's going into, you know, a kind of a off branch field of where they are now.
1: Yeah, so me for what I'm doing. It's like pretty useless. Um, Yeah, it's not very useful. I know that so both Scott and David did their they were in the MBA program. Um, and they did like the, they did the investment fund with Steve. What's his last
0: name? I think it's an, it's someone new does it now, but I know I don't uh, I don't have the name off the top of my uh, head.
1: Yeah, I'm forgetting a professor. What his last name? Oh, uh, St- Stephen Ng, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, and so so they did that and like they loved that, but like I think I honestly think that because the the MSF is basically right in line with the CFA. Um, which, and obviously like David was going and did the CFA on his own. So it's like, I think, I think that would have much more closely aligned, but that's just not a big like fifth year program. Um, but again, for what I did, I think it was like next to useless. So it's like the only thing I really use is accounting and the accounting course I did for that was basically a refresher of the accounting that I did in undergrad. Right. Uh, if you guys had in chick really like him i think he's a really good uh accounting professor i know that's an unpopular opinion um but like i think he gives a really good foundation in accounting and that that's definitely like the most important thing going into business even like or i'm mean, going into like yeah business and finance
0: so do you see yourself getting any of those other designations whether it be the cfa or going for your series seven or anything like that uh probably not no so um you know on this path so you don't have to get any of those designations right now on the path you're on correct so what is the next i mean if i were to continue yeah right if you were to continue so what is your next step if you were to continue because i know you went from associate to senior associate is there a next step for you after this you think or
1: yes so yeah so if i stay at what i'm doing i'd go from associate senior associate uh, vp senior vp director managing director and so it's like it's very linear um, on our team but obviously like there's a lot of, you can like move between the different teams um but yeah i mean i guess it's like basically like what what we're doing now is we're doing like a lot of the like more of the grunt work uh we're sort of like these we any credit action requests like we're we're completing the documentation required for that. Um, like if we're, if we're having to compile any of their financial to sort of like as an exhibit in our package, like we're doing that. Um, and then so like, as you start going up, like you're doing less of like the actual grunt work and you're just reviewing these packages or deciding the terms on the, on the new um, loan that we're extending or sort of like making the relationships. So I guess, I guess here, I'm going to take a little time to talk about uh, what I'm doing now that I'm gone from the rotational program. Because So yeah. now what I'm doing, we actually, uh, I'm joining one of like the non niche teams in the company. Um, so I am doing, we're lending to sponsors, which are private equity companies. Um, and we're lending the money for the private equity buyouts. Uh, and so again, these companies are not startup companies and I'm in the healthcare space and we're doing a lot of healthcare service companies. So thank Um, dentists, primary care physicians, um, hospice, home health, stuff like that. And so these are all cash flowing companies. And so we are being repaid based off of those cash flows, not based off of equity injections from like VCs, for example. Uh, And then, so we're working with the sponsors, with the PE companies um, on like getting all the diligence and underwriting these. And I I like that a lot more because it's just like way more complex with, with the younger companies, they just don't have as much going on. They obviously way smaller check sizes and they like, it's just like a lot of it, we're just underwriting to if the VC will be able to pay back. Um, and so like this, it's like, we're actually looking at like all the different aspects, especially like, like international, if they have international subsidiaries, like how that money can flow because it's hard for us to perfect on assets outside of the U.S. Um, and so it's just like really interesting to me. And then, and then we also get to own the relationship as well on our team because on the credit side, which is like what we call our accelerator growth, um, they have like the relationship management side and then the credit solutions. So credit's doing like the underwriting and managing the credit, but the relationship people are actually forming the relationship with the CEOs and the founders. Um, but we get to manage the relationship with the company and then with the sponsors as well, all uh, within our team. And so, and so you move, you move more over to like managing the relationship, the higher you get up, cause you're the one who's going to be bringing in the new deals for um, our team.
0: And you said you're enjoying that part of this part of it more than say your other, the other one, you're more of the niche team before.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: And the reason for that is just, you said it was more, more complex is, can you go into like how it's more complex and like, cause is, is it just bigger companies that makes it more, co- or like more mature companies, I should say that makes it more complex or is it something else?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's just more mature and bigger companies makes it more complex. Like they have cash flows coming in from different places. Um, They may already have debt in place. And so sort of like just navigating all that if they want to bring in sub debt. Um, Like, like I said, like having, having entities in different countries, sort of having multiple different offices, Having like have just they just have so much more that you have to navigate like different like tax structures and stuff like that and so and i feel so I feel like we get a lot better exposure as well to like how like actual successful businesses work as well um because in in like the v c space you just never really know until it either does well or it doesn't do well, but like these are like tried and true companies making millions of dollars a year uh in in net income and cash flow
0: right. I don't know, maybe you're not allowed to talk about this. Is there one company that you really, really enjoyed working on and with that maybe uh, a name that everyone in the room might know that has IPO recently or is growing bigger and may one day IPO? I don't know if you're allowed to say this or not. So if you can't, no worries, but. Yeah, I mean, well, I can talk about like some historical ones. So like we banked yeah.
1: Roku. Um, Roku was a big one. We actually, well, this we didn't bank them, but um Elizabeth Holmes, I'm completely forgetting the name of her company. She made a med device company though that, um, did, th- 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 uh, she made a med device company that like basically like, defrauded investors and stuff. It was like, you could prick your skin and test for all these like different diseases Theranos. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so like we looked at that, for example, um, didn't end up lending to us because they didn't give us any of the information. So that's, that's like an example. It's like, we were trying to do the underwrite for it and we needed like, it's like, oh, like, can you give us like the tests for like the success of your tests or like FDA approval Like, can you send these docs over? And they sort of just like went rogue on us. Um, and so it just like sort of like fell apart. But then you hear a couple years later, like the whole company is just defrauding the investors the whole time. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously
0: I don't there are know, other, I'm sure, there are like- other I'm sure there's companies you're working on right now that you can't talk about. But so like, I have a question for Roku. If you had wanted to buy into the IPO or whatever, buy after the IPO, would you have been allowed to, cause you had access to, you know, the inside information, they basically their books before anyone else did, or would that be considered, would that be barred from you guys? Are you not allowed to trade that?
1: No, we definitely would not be allowed to trade that. And so, yeah, so, so that those are, those are companies that I was working more so with, um, I, like, was on the consumer team, and so those were, like, consumer teams, obviously. Like, the companies that I work with now, you almost are guaranteed to not hear of because we're all, like, healthcare services, right? Um, and most most people aren't interacting with those as much, but, yeah, like, any, any stuff like that, because, I mean, like, even, like, the financials of any company are, like, it's all private information, so we can't trade on anything that we are working with. And even even now, like we our team has, we just bought a healthcare investment bank, Leerink, um, at the beginning of twenty nineteen, and so it's like we have added scrutiny or added security on our like calendars and just like in general, our team and like what we can and cannot trade because we do have an investment bank associated with us as well. So
0: firewalls and stuff are chi- I think they're called Chinese walls technically, but yeah, it, it, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Um, so. Last week Hakeem was on and you were you joined the call with us and you did talk about that you were doing some real estate investing. So why don't you dive into that a little bit cuz I know that's a popular topic among among our members.
1: Yeah, so uh, if I that's think that's a little loose that I got that I'm that I'm doing real estate investing, but uh, I'm trying to get into it. Um I am right now I'm I'm very much in the research phase right now. So <laughs> I have a another another coworker who just joined um, a year after I did, and we became friends pretty quickly. And then one of his uh classmates from school. So basically at this point, we just have a little group where we meet weekly and we'll pitch one or two houses in different cities, like the city that we want to focus on in the US right now. Um, and so we've been we've been doing that every week, sort of just to like get a little. Because like, I mean, like I go into it and like these two are definitely like, oh, like let's like invest in anything and everything. And I'm like, okay, guys, like we got to think about it. Like let's see a little analysis. And like right now we're still saving up money um, for the first down payment, but it's like, okay, well, when we get to that point, we have to like know how to analyze these companies, know how to analyze the area, the market. Um, And so that's basically what we're doing now is practicing with that. And then obviously we're going to decide on a like on a market. And then we're going to, like start diving into that market and researching different properties. Um, we are very much looking for a buy hold um, strategy, much like I am with stocks <laughs> uh, and just u- using it as a rental property. Um, but I mean, i not trying to like, yeah, not trying to do anything else. Uh, I also did agree with Hakeem that it's like, now is a terrible time to buy houses just because it's such a seller's market. Um, I feel like people can have pretty strong opinions on like when it's going to like crash or whatever, but I'm just like, I have no idea. Yeah, like I don't like, people are like, Oh yeah, 2021 is going to be a lot worse recession. I mean, it is, it is weird that house prices are, that it's such a sellers market and like, I understand that people are locked in their houses and they want to get bigger houses, but there's also so many people that are um, unemployed right now and hurting. Exactly. So it's like, it, it is surprising to see that so many ha- houses are, um, like like and even actually i have two friends um who i live with at, at clark um mm-hmm. and they are engaged and they've been looking to buy a house for like six months now and they're putting like they're putting offers on houses and find the, the same day that it comes out that the listing post and they're finding out that there are five other offers and three of them uh offered above listing price so it's like it's just it's kind of like wild to see and so that's what a lot of people are saying that 2021 going to be worse than 2020. Uh, and I think that's true, but it's, it's weird to think about. And I know so little about, uh, the real estate space. So it's been really fun to sort of get into. And, um, team talked about the bigger pockets and that's something that I had heard about probably six months ago. And I've been absolutely crushing them. Um, like two to three a week, uh, since then. And there's just so much, but also like they talk all the time about the analysis paralysis. So at some point you just have to do and you might lose a couple thousand dollars, but like the, the experience um, and the education that you get from it is invaluable.
0: So I have just like two last quick questions. One, we do all the time with everyone. And then one, you just mentioned that you thought 2021 is going to be worse. Does that mean the stock, you think the stock market's going to go down too, just so we can get a little bit of that trading aspect we have for the club. What do you, I know, I don't know if you're allowed to disclose. You obviously can't, I'm not going to ask you what you're holding or anything, but like, I don't know what you're allowed to talk about for your bank compliance wise. I know where I work, it's a mess compliance wise. So, you know, yeah, honestly, I don't
1: really know what the compliance rules are. I tried to ask my, uh, my managing director, but he just never, never responded. But yeah, I mean, I like, again, like I don't, I don't really spend too much time looking at the market, but I just feel like it's, they, actually I was just talking to somebody about this, but like in 2008, they started like, Printing money, I want to say like six months to a year after like it collapsed or whatever. Like now they just started pumping it out like day one, and they're absolutely hammering this money. And so that's why it's like, oh, well, like the stock market's been hitting all new highs and stuff. So like at some point that is just going to come to an end. And it's like I, I mean, yeah, I think that like all these like tech companies, like Zoom, obviously is a big one. Like all this like online stuff, like Asana has been doing really well. Um, I think that they're still going to be continue to be more utilized. Like Peloton, I think they're still going to continue to be more utilized post coronavirus. Like obviously not to the same levels, and I feel like a lot of these investments are with the ideology that these things are going to not necessarily go up at the same rate, but that they're going to continue going up. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think I I do think that companies will become more remote but I also think that I don't think they'll become 100% remote. And I right. think, I think, I do think there's still a lot of value of being in the office, interacting with people like that for SVB, the relationships thing is huge. And so like SVB is not the only company that feels that way. Um, so there's going to be like other companies that are having people in the office, having them like in the local areas that they're serving so that they can meet with the clients and customers. Um, so I, th- I think it's like an artificial spike just because Basically, all these companies are being required right now. And so obviously it's like hammering or not hammering, but like the opposite of pumping steroids into these right, companies into, yeah.
0: Right. So yeah,
1: I yeah, I could definitely see um a big correction in twenty twenty one. I don't think I don't think it will be like game changer or anything like uh two thousand eight or anything, but I do think that it will. Um, definitely come down from this like huge surge, especially when no one knows what's going on right now. So they're like, "Oh, put more money into it, put more money." Yeah, in. I mean Tesla. Tesla will keep going up though. <laughs> I, I'm
0: a big Elon Musk <laughs> fan. I mean, we we've been due for a correction for about you know 12 years. So 10 it's, years. It's been a while, yeah. <laughs> been a while since we needed one. It's an easy prediction. <laughs> um, and then final question that we ask all of our guests. Maybe I should have prepped you on this one. You said if I had any hot questions. What's your one book recommendation? I don't know if you're much of a reader, but. Uh, Did you cut out, Parker? Can you hear me? Can anyone hear me? Did I lose everyone? All right. Does anyone else want to ask more questions while Parker, uh, Can can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, you're back partially. Okay. Uh, just, I can hear you. All right. Perfect. One book recommendation you have for everyone. What book. I think it's an
1: absolutely amazing book talking about how to sort of like build wealth and not just getting into the rat race, but actually getting to financial freedom.
0: Awesome. As I said, a really, really good and insightful interview. Again, thank you, Matt. And thank you to you all for listening. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday and we'll be back tomorrow to discuss TikTok, the futures market that's kind of, you know, a little volatile tonight due to some geopolitical aspects and more. But until next time, stay safe and stay investing.